Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. What does the Bible say about the Sabbath, or what does the Bible say about the Lord's Day? This is part two of our series looking at this particular question. In part one, we dealt with the issue of whether or not the fourth commandment has been abrogated, whether or not it is still necessary for the Christian to uh, observe the fourth commandment. And we saw that the scriptures do teach that, the, in fact, that the fourth commandment has not been abrogated, that it is still necessary for uh, Christians to keep uh, the Sabbath. It is necessary in the sense of it being a command, uh, but it's also necessary in the sense of it being good for your soul. It is good for you spiritually to keep the commandment because uh, it is a foretaste of the final rest that you will have uh, with God. So we looked at that uh, last week. We looked at some passages from the Old Testament, some from the New, uh, to show that the scriptures are one in its declaration of both the usefulness and the necessity of the Sabbath. Uh, now, in part two, we're going to look at the change of day. Uh, we don't. We do not keep. Uh, the Sabbath on Saturday. We do not. We don't observe the Lord's Day uh, on Saturday. We observe it on Sunday, uh, and um, it's important to understand that this is in fact something that the Scriptures uh, teach. Uh, there are those who will say, particularly the Seventh Day Adventists, will say that uh, this is actually evidence of um, the Antichrist. That uh, you know, uh, they're building on um, prophecies in Daniel with regard to the Antichrist coming and changing times and seasons, and they'll say the, that it was actually the papacy that has changed uh, the day from Saturday to, to Sunday, and therefore this is something that the scriptures, in fact, do not teach. Um, the scriptures do not teach the change of day, and if we're going to observe the Sabbath, we need to do it on the biblical day of Saturday. So do the scriptures, in fact, teach uh, that there is a change of day? Now, to understand this, we have to understand why Saturday was chosen first uh, as the day for observance. And in order to do this, we, we need to, to look at the uh, two texts uh, in uh, where, where the Sabbath legislation is given in its kind of fullest form, found in, particularly in the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, and then also Deuteronomy chapter 5. And what you'll notice there as, as you look at those passages is that the grounds for keeping the Sabbath is related first in Exodus chapter 20 to creation, that uh, it is a patterning off of what God did in creation as those who bear his image, just as God worked six days and then rested on the seventh, so too we as those who are made in his image and in, uh, res- in, re- in reflection and praise to God for his creation, we are to work for six days and then rest on the seventh. So uh, part of what then the Sabbath observance is each and every week uh, is, uh, is that it is connected to creation, that God is the creator of all things. Uh, now, it's different, in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where there is another reason that's given, and that reason is redemption. The grounds for keeping the Sabbath uh, in in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is redemption, particularly the redemption out of Egypt, the, the Exodus, which is, of course, the, the great act of salvation uh, that God accomplishes for his people uh, in the Old Testament, that God uh, brought them out uh, of Egypt and uh, and saved them. And so because of that act of redemption, then, uh, there is then the, this grounds for the keeping of the Sabbath. And so, therefore, uh, the, the two main ideas that are connected with the observance of the Sabbath is God's creation and redemption. Creation in Exodus chapter 20, redemption in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So that those are the things that are celebrated. Those are the things for which God uh, is worshipped uh, in uh, in the Old Testament in uh, for the Sabbath observance. Now, the reason why we can say theologically that the day has changed is because with the coming of Christ, he has, and particularly by his resurrection from the dead, 
He has inaugurated the new creation and he has accomplished the redemption to which the old redemption pointed. That is to say, he is the final fulfillment of uh, the, the new creation promises. He is the, the final fulfillment of all the promises of salvation that are found in the law and in the prophets. And so because of that, uh, just as uh, the day was, was set as being Saturday because of old creation, old redemption, so too then the new creation, the new redemption must have a Sabbath observance, but it must be fit to uh, the new circumstances of that new creation and the new redemption, which again was accomplished uh, not on Saturday, but in fact on Sunday, on the first day uh, of the week. Um, so the, the idea here is that it would be wrong for you as a Christian to set apart as your observance of the fourth day, so you're choosing to observe one day and not another, to set apart a day that, that commemorates the old creation when the new one has already come. Similarly, it would be wrong for you to set apart uh, a day that commemorates the old redemption, the, the, the exodus out of Egypt, when the new redemption has come in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say, you've uh, now been taken out of your bondage and captivity to Satan rather than being taken out of the, the house of bondage and captivity in, in Egypt and bondage to Pharaoh. And so the idea is, is that it would be, it's backwards. It's backwards if you continue uh, to worship on Saturday as opposed to worshiping uh, on Sunday. Uh, so th this would be essentially the same error as uh, as continuing to try to offer whole burnt offerings, uh, sin offerings, that those sorts of things, uh, peace offerings. Uh, if you try to to observe the the, the Passover, uh, all these things are fulfilled in Christ. Uh, he is the true burnt offering. He's the true sin offering. He's the one by whom we have peace with God. He's the true Passover lamb. And once he accomplishes that, then it's done away with. And you can. Uh, you can see very clearly the, the explanation for this in the book of Hebrews and a number of important points. But the, the point is that it's the same idea with the Sabbath. We, we cannot go back to worshiping the old uh, God for the old creation when the new creation has come. We don't, uh, we don't base our worship on uh, the old exodus when the new exodus has, in fact, uh, already been accomplished. And so uh, for those reasons, we'd have to say then uh, that, that there is a part of the law, as I mentioned last week, there's a part of the fourth commandment that has been fulfilled in Christ. Um, but it heightens our obligation to keep the Sabbath because now there are greater realities that undergird the Sabbath. There are greater realities. The, the new creation is far greater than the old. The new redemption is far greater than the old as well. And this is why, this is why in several places in the New Testament, particularly in Paul's writings, you think of Galatians chapter 4, Romans chapter 14, and, and Colossians chapter 2 being the main ones, why in, in those texts uh, there is this... Um, there is this prohibition against keeping uh, or against needing to keep the Sabbath, against needing to keep um, the the uh, the seventh day worship. Uh, the idea in those texts is not that Paul is abolishing the Sabbath. He's not uh, abrogating it in any sense. Uh, however, what he is doing is he is saying that, that the part of it that's been fulfilled in Christ, particularly the seventh day worship, uh, that that in fact has been uh, uh, abrogated and that nobody can force you to keep uh, the Sabbath. And we see this particularly in the text in Colossians chapter 2, I believe verses 16 and 17, I, I believe verse 16, uh, where the word Sabbath is attached to uh, new moons and festivals. So the idea of a new moon is it's the, the monthly uh, worship uh, that was set apart for the people of God. It was done away with with the coming of Christ. All the festivals are fulfilled in Christ as well. And the idea is that Paul is saying um, the Sabbaths that he's referring to are those that are attached to those. The idea is it's all of the Old Testament days. All of them have been fulfilled in Christ. And so none of those now have any force in terms of uh, binding the conscience with regard to worship. However, 
what does continue to have force is the, the new single day that is on the basis of the new acts of redemption. And this is why, for instance, then um, you have a few places in the New Testament where uh, there are meetings that happen on the first day of the week. And so particularly one of them is 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, Paul assumes you're going to gather together on the first day of the week, and there is when you should collect uh, the, the, uh, the, the collection that um, you're going to take and that we're going to come by and, and get from you. Uh, the idea is, is that there's this assumption, well, of course, it's the first day of the week. That's when we meet. Um, uh, another important key uh, element in all of this is one of the reasons why there is this relationship between um, creation and redemption, that when Christ accomplishes his resurrection, he has inaugurated both the new creation and the new redemption, uh, is because even in the Old Testament, there has actually always been a connection between redemption and new creation, that those two things inherently uh, go together. And this helps us to see, I think, the reason why the day has changed and why this one act of Christ can sum up um, uh, both the elements of new creation, new redemption. And so, for instance, in uh, the Exodus, when the people of God are coming out uh, and they're going through the sea, there is this, there, before, they, before the sea is split, there is this separation of light and darkness. There's darkness in the camp of the Egyptians and there's light with the people of God. Then there is this, this split uh, of the, the land and the sea, there's a, the, the dry land appears and the waters and the people go, go through the waters. Uh, that, that Those divisions of light and darkness, land and sea, uh, is reminiscent of the divisions that God, create, that God creates in days uh, one and three in particular with regard to uh, creation. And the, the idea there is that um, the, the act of redemption through by going through the Red Sea is in fact an act of new creation. We, we, we get something actually very similar with this in Noah, where there is a removal of the boundaries between the waters and uh, the land. That's what the, the flood is. And then you have the reestablishing of those boundaries as the dry land appears. It's, the, it's a picture of uh, a new creation. The salvation of Noah is a, is a salvation that affects the entire cosmos as the entire cosmos is, is, is in some ways remade uh, by that act uh, of redemption that ends up happening. And then all of life then flows uh, from the ark. Again, a picture of, uh, of a reestablishment of creation. And this actually becomes more explicit in the prophets as the prophets uh, speak about this, this connection. When they, when they speak about the coming redemption, that it will happen uh, when the Messiah comes, they speak of it as a new creation. And so, for instance, um, in Isaiah 59, uh, towards the end of, the, of that passage, uh, all of the people of God are described as being in darkness because of their sin. Then there's a redemption that happens. The Messiah comes and he banishes ungodliness from Jacob. And it speaks about um, in, in the last verse of the chapter of uh, of the spirit being put on him and then the word not departing from his mouth and this carrying over for his people, the, the people of the Messiah. This is then immediately followed at the very beginning of Isaiah 60 with a declaration that now the light will appear over Zion. So where there was darkness, now there'll be light with the coming of the Messiah. It's a picture of new creation. And this actually becomes explicit then at the end of Isaiah chapter 60, uh, where the, the new creation is just is just explicitly described in actually language that uh, it appears that John is picking up on in Revelation when he describes uh, the new creation. So the, the point is, is that um, is that redemption is always connected with a new creation. And in everything in the Old Testament that happens, that is a, a looking forward to the redemption of Christ, is also uh, implicitly also looking forward to uh, the new creation. Um, another thing that, that is connected with the idea of redemption is resurrection. Uh, so Ezekiel 37, the return from exile and the salvation that would come with that, which is always in the prophets connected with the coming of the Messiah, uh, is 
uh, is linked to the idea of resurrection. So Ezekiel prophesies over the dry bones and then they come uh, back alive. So there's resurrection. And so therefore it's fitting and connecting all these ideas through the prophets. There's this expectation that when the Messiah comes, there's going to be this great redemption. There's going to be a new creation and it will also entail resurrection. And so it's fitting then when the Lord Jesus Christ is raised from the dead that we recognize what's happened. Uh, the new creation has begun. Christ is already experiencing the new creation. And if you are in him, you yourself are a new creation. This is why the Apostle Paul uses this language in 2 Corinthians 5. You are a new creation because you participate in the one who has inaugurated that new creation. It's already begun. As, as uh, John says in, in, his, uh, in his first epistle, uh, the, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It has already come with the coming of Christ. This happened with his resurrection from the dead. It signals uh, that the resurrection uh, itself has begun. It's again an end time thing linked with uh, new creation and then the redemption has been accomplished. Uh, Christ uh, has fulfilled everything that the exodus, the first exodus, uh, uh, um, um, ended up being about. So Christ is the Passover lamb by whom the people of God are, are covered, their, their sins uh, are washed. Uh, Christ is the new Moses who leads his people out. Uh, Christ is the one who has accomplished this uh, new exodus. He's brought them back to God. He's brought them into God's presence in a way uh, that wasn't possible before. Uh, so for in, in all these ways, the reason why, to sum up, the reason why we worship on the first day is because we commemorate a different act, a different act that was accomplished. That's the fulfillment of everything related to everything that the Sabbath was supposed to be about in the Old Testament. All the, the themes uh, converge in the Lord Jesus Christ and particularly in his resurrection from the dead. Uh, we, we, we see this and this is the reason why then uh, there is a first day worship. This is even recognized in the early church. Uh, uh, in the letter that Ignatius wrote, there is a, a statement where it says that we are to worship as Christians, uh, worshiping on the first day, and not as Jews, worshiping on the seventh day. So one of the tests, one of the marks of the, in the early church of being a true Christian was uh, you, you understand that worship is to happen on the first day of the week because that is the Christian thing to do in light of the redemption that has come uh, in Christ. And so for all these reasons, we can say the scriptures do in fact teach that the day has changed and uh, even as you think about worshiping God each and every Lord's Day, keep this in mind. Every day, you wor every Lord's Day, you worship the Lord for the salvation that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ, celebrating that the new creation has begun and that you are a new creation uh, in him. And so uh, in part three, we'll begin to look at uh, the ways in which we are to keep the Sabbath, particularly the recreation clause, uh, and uh, causing others to work. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. May God enlighten the eyes of your heart that through the preached word, your eyes may be opened to behold the glory of Christ more and more.